if you're buying the deal at a certain price, you know that the seller said he would sell it and the commission for the broker is something they want, then you say, hey, heck yeah, let's take a look at it and run it with assuming your commission that we pay you. And if the numbers make sense, we do it. Isn't it just the best when a software comes out that makes your life easier, makes you more money, and by the way, it's free? Well, welcome to Stessa, today's best ever sponsor. Stessa is a smarter income and expense tracking software for property owners. It allows you to track, manage, and communicate the performance of your real estate assets. So basically, it helps you make more money by looking at your properties in one dashboard. It's a beautiful dashboard, by the way. And it shows you the KPIs, the key performance indicators that you care about. What's the value? How much cash flow are you getting? What's the debt that you have on the properties? What are you bringing in monthly? What are you bringing in annually? And it allows you to have a quick snapshot, not only of your properties, but also come tax time, it's a breeze because you can scan receipts and invoices directly from the phone app and Stessa will automatically read and categorize them for you. No more data entry. It's been talked about in Forbes, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and all it takes is just a few minutes to add your properties, link the accounts, and everything updates in real time. Without Stessa, I was looking at my portfolio on an infrequent basis. I'm talking about my single family home portfolio. I got three single family homes, and I didn't realize that I had trapped equity. But if I was looking at it from a dashboard that Stessa has, then I would have realized that, hey, I got a portfolio value of X and I've got debt on it of Y. Holy cow, look at all this trapped equity. I'm missing out. And with Stessa, that won't happen. So go to stessa.com forward slash best ever. And it's free. It's free. Stessa.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. JC Castillo. How you doing, JC? I'm doing good, Joe. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure. Nice to have you on the show and a little bit about JC. He is the founder and managing principal of the Multifamily Property Group. He's been investing in large multifamily for 12 plus years based in San Jose, California, and his company's website, Multifam group.com. With that being said, JC, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. I've been investing in multifamily for a good long time since before the recession. And I'm actually a technology guy by degree, mechanical engineer. And I've been in the tech business and the semiconductor business for about the last 20 years. But certainly I've transitioned over to more of a real estate focused person these days. So are you a full-time investor or part-time? Absolutely. Full-time got my property company up and running for the last 12 plus years. Okay, cool. So you've been investing in large multifamily for 12 plus years. What's your portfolio look like now? We have about a $50 million portfolio. We've bought and sold over a thousand doors in Dallas-Fort Worth. We currently have six properties in our portfolio. And are they all in DFW? That's correct. Everything is in Dallas-Fort Worth. That's right. When did you buy your first one? I bought my first properties in 2007 in Dallas-Fort Worth. I bought a 50-unit and a 24-unit. And then the following year, we bought a 31-unit. So those were my first purchases. And did you have a full-time job at that time? Oh, yeah. Back then, I was working a full-time job. I've always been a real estate guy, always had a passion for it. 
I had bought single family homes several throughout my early career in technology and sold a lot of those. I bought those in San Jose area, sold a lot of those and decided I wanted to get into multifamily to scale up because I had limited time being a full-time technology guy. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of how I got my start in apartments. When did you quit your full-time job to be full-time focused on multifamily? So <laughs> it's, it's funny. In 2011, I basically left my full-time job. By then, my real estate had really taken off. But interestingly, I'm kind of an entrepreneur by nature. And one of my buddies had told me a really great idea about a networking startup that he wanted to do. So long story short, I joined that company and helped build it up from the ground up. And it became pretty successful. So even though I was running my property business, I'm sort of a technology guy at heart, but I sort of left that company as well. So now it's full-time real estate. And when did you leave that company? August of this year, as a matter of fact. Oh, cool. All right. So you were there about seven, six or seven years. Why'd you leave in August? Well, it got to the point where we had built the company up and we had some really, really great customers. And for me, that business was turning into a little bit more of a lifestyle than an exit, which was my strategy on it. So at that point, if it's going to be lifestyle, really, my real estate business is really what I'm more passionate about from that perspective. So that's why I made the move in August. You call yourself a technology guy. How has that helped you in multifamily investing? Well, I think as a matter of fact, a lot of my capital partners are all Silicon Valley technology guys as well. And I think what I enjoy about being a technologist is that I think like apartments become a lot less emotional for us. It's a very numbers driven game. And our capital partners that are technology guys are actually quite zero and one, if you will, when it comes to investing. They read numbers very well. They're very analytical. And if these deals pencil out on the financial side, it's fairly quickly and easily identifiable for them and well as for me to understand whether it's a good deal or not. So I think that's my advantage as a tech guy, right? And then on the flip side, since you've got a $50 million portfolio, you know the execution is paramount in our industry, which gets away from the zeros and ones and is definitely more focused on the people aspect. So what have you done to help set your properties up for success since it perhaps isn't natural to be focused on that compared to the numbers? Yeah, it's a really good point. I think it's actually even more critical than sort of the numbers to sort of build your team and build your ecosystem, right? Multifamily investing, like many businesses, is a team sport. And so me, myself, I've chosen strategically to focus on a very specific major metro. So I've gone very, very deep in Dallas-Fort Worth with my relationships with brokers, lending partners, and whole ecosystem of partners that get the job done for us. So we've managed to build a really awesome team out there in Dallas-Fort Worth that really sort of helps on the execution side, because that's as important, if not more important than the numbers, of course, as you rightly pointed out. And what are some specific things that you've done to find the right team members? Well, I always say that the first thing that you need to do when you're going to a market is basically do sort of the fundamentals. And really it starts with number one is, especially if you're coming in from an out-of-state perspective, California guys have a little bit of sort of a, guys and gals, I should say, a little bit of a negative connotation, maybe not as familiar with the local market potentially not in tune with sort of the price variations and not as sensitive to the local working. So I think you have to really come in with sort of your hat in your hand and fairly humble and sort of go to learn and listen and ask a lot of questions of the brokers and, and sort of be honest with them about your situation. Look, I'm coming into a new market, really haven't participated here before. 
And I'd really like to know what it takes to sort of be a good partner in this metro, in this market. So I think that's sort of how you really get started. And that's probably the best way to sort of get going right. What's been a challenge you've come across with a specific deal? I think there's many different challenges. I could tell you specifically one of the challenges that we've faced in the past that we've sort of learned the hard way in a lot of ways is that when you're looking for these major projects, you really want to try to stay away from as much as you can anything that might be invasive to the current resident's lifestyle. So for example, if you're going to go in and replace internal workings of the units, even for occupied units, let's say that you've got window units, for example and you need to replace them with a centralized AC system or maybe a mini split system. It sounds easy enough, especially for the vacants, it's pretty simple, but when you have occupied units and you've got people going in and out of the units two, three, four times, that can actually get pretty invasive in a resident's lifestyle. And so what we've seen with those sorts of deals is we've seen that we've had a little bit more issue keeping people happy residents throughout that transition. So that's probably one of the things I can tell you that we've learned over the years. So what's the solution if you're wanting to change out window units to central AC? Well, in my opinion, if you're a value-add guy, which we are, I would steer clear of deals like that. I think that they sound great on paper, but I would say that there's a lot of logistical challenges. So sometimes you kind of have to say, look, this may not be such a great model for us with those sorts of things. Now, things like cosmetic upgrades, spraying countertops and upgrading units when they're vacant and turning units and all that other stuff is perfect. What are some value add additions or, or tactics that you've done that stand out to you as incredibly effective other than interior renovations of a unit? Well, I think I would up-level that question maybe one notch. And what I would say is over the years, as we've sort of developed and gotten better at sort of the way that we do value added properties, one of the things that we've really thought hard about and sort of executed on a little bit better, I'd say, is that we try to look at the initial execution in the planning stages and say, look, let's attack this from a design perspective before we attack this from a nuts and bolts perspective. I mean, what I mean is we really try to step back and really look at the design elements and the amenities and how we could really maximize the usefulness of the renovated product for the resident profile. So for example, we spend a little bit more money than most people on the leasing office slash community center. A lot of people will come in and slap some paint on the walls and, and maybe sort of work within the bounds of what the configuration is, but we'll actually take it a step further. We'll usually completely blow out walls, open up spaces, take a lot of time to transform it from something that looks sort of me too-ish to something that really blows people's socks off when they walk in the door because we kind of look at the leasing slash me center as kind of the equivalent of the car dealership. And when you walk into the showroom floor, you really want to be wowed in the showroom floor because that's where the decision is going to happen to sort of decide to live and become a member of, of that community. So for us, those sorts of things, that design element and really sort of taking those pieces to maybe a different level is something that we feel is important to us. And we get a lot of value, we think, from doing that. With the capital partners you mentioned who are very bottom line oriented and look at it in terms of zeros and ones, and I know obviously that's not all your capital partners, but generally that's been a benefit of your background, having those relationships. How do you communicate the bottom line ROI on spending more money than most on a leasing office and or community center since those aren't, for the most part, getting rented out? 
you might lease some space in a community center, but for the most part, they're not. Basically, it all comes down to not only what the numbers look like, but also what your model is. So one thing I will tell you about who we are is that our investor profile is a little bit more long-term focused than most. We like to hold deals for maybe longer than your typical three to five year exit. And because of that, we're able to plan for the long-term a little bit more maybe than the shorter-term exits. So investing a few more dollars, right? And we're not talking about extensively larger amounts of money, for example, for the leasing center remodel. We're talking about more money putting in than the average bear, but not excessively. But when we look at the long-term benefits of the stuff that we do, we certainly feel like we're setting ourselves up in the long run for a much better performance and a consistent performance. So I don't think that sort of making those additional investments for at least for our profile of investors and sort of the long-term mindset that we have is a detriment to us being able to execute or being able to attract capital. With your mechanical engineering background, I imagine you love getting into the numbers and the underwriting process. First off, is that an accurate assumption? When I first started out, absolutely. I was underwriting my own deals, sort of coordinating the renovation of our own deals, running through all the acquisition process. Obviously, these days we've grown, so we've been able to put some pretty wonderful people on the team that kind of help to do the acquisition, the underwriting and stuff. But it is something that I have enjoyed doing, and I still am able to do it at times. But these days I'm focused on a little bit of a different sort of more of a sort of a growth mode and sort of managing sort of the different pieces that we have in motion these days. The underwriting process that you had at the very beginning, so your first couple deals versus what you and your team have now, what are some specific areas that have been evolved or updated just so we can learn along the way from what you learned through those 12 plus years? Well, when we first started out, the model was a little bit more basic when it comes to we really didn't account for, for example, unit upgrades or how those would be folded into the execution. So we would really just say, look, let's underwrite the deal as if we're buying it. And we're basically just going to increase the rents on a holistic level as we go out in time because we're value adding it. But along the years, one thing we've done a much better job of is we've really customized our underwriting to basically look at how the ramp up happens with upgrade and classic units. So as you're going through the value add process for a deal, you've got a majority of the residents who are going to be what you would call classic slash renewing. And then you've got a subset that are going to exit and you've got vacants that you're going to upgrade. So now you've got upgraded units at a certain price and you've got classic units at a lower price. But on the upgraded units, you've got whatever your number per month that you can turn is. So you sort of have to work that into a year over year basis and also multi-year basis in terms of how much you're increasing your GPR and sort of how that's all mapping into your overall performance. And so we've gotten for example, in that area, a little bit more sophisticated in terms of how we model out time equals zero to however long it takes us to transition to fully upgraded units. And did you create your underwriting spreadsheet from scratch or do you something else? We have. Everything we've built, we've built in-house and we've continued to develop it. We've looked at several third-party software services, underwriting services, and in, to a varying degree, sort of we've seen some of the value that they have, but they always sort of maybe fall short just here or there in terms of some of the custom stuff we've built out. So for example, uh, for example, one of the solutions that we looked at actually did a really good job of sort of doing what I mentioned about having a certain number of upgrade units. 
But where it kind of fell short was the way that the data could be sort of generated out just wasn't specifically formatted to what we wanted to have to see from a bottom line perspective. So you get into the details of it and it all sounds good from a high level, but as you sort of peel the onion back, you kind of go back to what you're doing and seeing sometimes it just works a little bit better. And the other thing that's interesting is when you build something from the ground up, what you end up figuring out too is that you sort of have a model in place and that model, the way that you work, it forces you to think about the deal in certain ways and whether the deal makes sense or doesn't. And sometimes when you move to these sort of third party solutions, you lose that sort of level of really having to think through the process a little bit more, which kind of forces you to identify areas, if you will, where the deal may not make sense, but maybe from a high level sort of punch in the numbers, it kind of looks right, but it doesn't have to you sort of spend more time on some of the things that you've sort of customized over the years. If we had had our conversation two years ago and I asked you the following question, what would you say? And here's the question. What's your biggest challenge right now with your business? And this was, again, this is a question I asked you two years ago. I think two years ago, what I would have told you is the biggest challenge is finding the right deal. And what I'll tell you is if we look at two years ago, the market, while it's sort of gotten maybe a little bit hotter and maybe it's cooling off right now, the market wasn't that much different than what it is now. And we've been struggling to find truly great deals two years back. So I think finding those deals has always been the challenge. And have you bought anything between today and two years ago? We did. We bought one project and we're going into contract on another. So what I would characterize as net sellers, but definitely sort of opportunistic on the buy side when we feel like we find something that hits our parameters. And how did you find the contract that you purchased? The one that we purchased, off-market deal, we had sold a project with a broker who we've known for many years, and we were in a 1031, and he was able to find a really, really great uplay for us that was not what I would say off-market these days. It's kind of like everybody knows about it, but it's not officially listed, but truly off-market that no one ever, ever knew about and that we were able to get out of great terms, and we were very happy with it. What type of fee does a broker receive in that type of 1031 transaction when they find you a deal? It depends. The situation that we had, once the broker identified a project that might be suitable, then in that situation, the seller said, look, I'll sell the deal at this number, which was a really good number, but I'm going to request that the buyer pay your broker commission. So in that particular case, the broker came back to us and said, look, here's the number it's going to take for this deal, which when we underwrote it, it worked immediately. And he said, but you guys are going to have to pay my broker commission. And what I've learned in this business is when a broker does that to you, you have a real opportunity to build a great relationship by being agreeable to it and by being not only agreeable, but being positive about it. I think one of the mistakes I've seen people make is they start trying to nickel and dime the one person that's actually on your team and bringing you amazing deals. And all you got to do is look at it as a cost of doing the transaction. So if you're buying the deal at a certain price that the seller said he would sell it and the commission for the broker is something they want, then you say, hey, heck yeah, let's take a look at it and run it with assuming your commission that we pay you. And if the numbers make sense, we do it. And I think that really sets the tone for the broker that, hey, look, these guys aren't going to nickel and dime me. I'm working hard to find these deals. And when I do, I know I'm going to get paid for it. So for us, we feel like that's a great opportunity when a broker does that. Yeah, I completely agree. And what was the purchase price for that? 
I never get into purchase price numbers in public because DFW in Texas as a whole is, as you know, a non-disclosure state, but we're doing deals these days in the range of 15 to $25 million or so. Fair enough. Okay. I totally get that. What was the commission? Because that's where I was going with it. Oh, okay. I believe on that deal, I think it was a $200,000 commission. Good stuff. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? <laughs> Go long, not short. That's sort of one of my personal investment philosophies. I think it's been a great run, and I don't know how much longer we've got in the cycle. Obviously, there's starting to be some transitional periods here in terms of what we're doing. But I've always said that if you go long and sort of focus on the fundamentals, over time, I think that you can get over market ups and downs, which they do happen. And I've been through sort of probably the biggest, one of the biggest in the recession. But things like don't overpay is one of the big rules that I have. Now, don't overpay doesn't mean look to buy deals for less than fair market value because fair market value is fair market value, but don't overpay in this sort of a market, especially in this phase of the market. When we look for deals, we try to look for deals that have long-term ownership. If we can find a deal that's been under ownership for 10 plus years, that means that we know that most likely there's some sort of an under market rent situation and probably plenty of things that we can fix to add value from the exterior, the amenities, the upgraded units. And look for multiple ways to add value because all these things sort of speak to the fact that if you're going to go long, you really want a product that can support that. You sort of want the great characteristics, for example, of a value add. And then once you add the value, if it's in a decent location and it's a good solid product, you'll be able to keep it for more than five years if you want. And it should start, keep continuing to throw cash flow out the door. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Lightning round. All right, go for it. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Finally, there's a simple way to track rental performance. Stessa, our best ever sponsor, lets real estate investors track, manage, and communicate the performance of our real estate portfolios for free. Go to stessa.com forward slash best ever. You'll always know how your properties are performing with this dashboard. It's a beautiful looking dashboard. And it will help you save time with smarter income and expense tracking. You don't have to do any more data entry. Just upload the stuff directly from your phone. It tracks it in real time. Get organized for tax time with tax-ready financials so you can download them instantly. This thing was built by investors for real estate investors. It's been featured in all the publications you can think of. To get set up with your free account, just add your properties, link your accounts, and everything else updates in real time. Stessa.com forward slash best ever. S-T-E-S-S-A dot com forward slash best ever to get started. What if you could earn 10000 per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Corino teaches you how to take a single family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit RALacademy.com to learn more. Best ever book you've recently read. Best ever book I have recently read. Right now, I'm reading a book called The One Thing by Gary Keller, which I really love. Best ever deal you've done. Best ever deal I've done. Probably a deal called Amber Creek. And why was that the best ever? Well, like I said, been owned by a guy for 20 years and market rents were way under market. We we're able to get it for a very, very fair price. And it had significant upside and it was in a great located asset in DFW. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? 
Well, I think we talked about one is we went in and did some major extensive renovations to occupied units. And I would say that we would want to shy away from that moving forward. Best ever way you like to give back? (laughs) The way that I like to give back is more on a one-on-one basis. If there's folks that ever have questions, I'm happy to give advice and happy to help out. That's what I like to do. And best way the best ever listeners can get in touch with you? If they want to get in touch with me, then they can go to our website multifamilypropertygroup.com and they can click on the contact us section and we'll get a hold of them and talk with them about whatever they're interested in talking about. Well, JC, thanks so much for being on the show, talking about your background, how you've grown your company's portfolio from zero to $50 million, some lessons learned along the way from an underwriting standpoint, the nuances in underwriting in terms of the unit upgrades and how to look as the ramp up happens versus underwriting it as though it happens overnight and being very granular about that process on a a progression standpoint. And then the challenges, how you like to stay away from properties that have invasive updates to residents and you use the example of window units to the central AC and doing that replacement. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Joe. I appreciate it. What if you could earn 10000 per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Corino teaches you how to take a single family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit ralacademy.com to learn more.